minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia, north to south, up and down and around via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano, I'm hosting today's program. Welcome to all those listeners across the country to the Anarchist World this week. And if you wonder what anarchy is all about, no, it's not what you think. An anarchist society is a society based on two ideas. Well, it's actually based on one idea. And that's having a society, creating a society without rulers. Very simple. How do you create a society without rulers? Devolve power, share wealth. Very simple concepts which people have been fighting for since time immemorial. Certain societies have achieved it at different periods in history. Looking at the 21st century, the century of extinction, maybe even human extinction, the way we're going, it's... uh, time that we actually looked at uh, anarchism as a viable alternative to uh, corporate capitalism or capitalism, a system based on the creation of ever-increasing profits irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national costs. So, what's this program all about? Well, look, if you want scintillating analysis, go somewhere else. The whole purpose of the program is to uh, encourage you to take action during 2018. Now, obviously, we will analyse different things that are happening. But at the end of the day, whether things change will not depend on what I say, although what I say may help to clarify issues that you're faced with. And it may help to join the dots about the type of society we live in and the type of action we need to take in order to make fundamental radical changes to that society. But... Whether that, new, whether that new society we have in our hearts actually ever becomes reality is directly related to the number of listeners to this program who get involved in taking action to make those dreams a reality. So the whole purpose of the program is to encourage you to take action. Now, people can take action in various ways. There's financial support, there's physical support, there's initiation campaigns, there's involvement in campaigns. I mean, politics is not, as we're told, in a uh, representative democracy, an act of casting a ballot every three years to give a representative a signed blank cheque to make decisions for you for the next three years when you know real power doesn't lie in Parliament. It lies in the hands of the parliamentary puppet masters that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. You know that, I know that. Now, this can continue for ad infinitum if you'd like. Because at no time in modern or postmodern human history 
Have we seen so few people exercise so much power and have access to so much wealth? And so little resistance to the growing inequalities that exist in our society. And obviously this is due to a number of factors. And in Australia it's due to the fact that um, most people need jobs in order to survive because of the high rates of debt which they need to manage in order to survive. And also we've seen in this country over the last 40 years the passage of legislation which has basically broken the back of the trade union movement. So as far as organisations within society which actually take up the fight to the globalisation, corporatisation, nationalisation, deregulation brigade, there's very few organisations apart from a, you know, a small number of committed individuals and a small number of committed um, groups across this country. So that culture of resistance, which was such a part of Australian society, which won Australian working people the ability to enjoy one of the highest standards of living in the 70s, is now dissipated. And it hasn't dissipated because of some natural order. It's dissipated because the parliamentary system has been hijacked by that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And by media, both legacy or new media, which basically spends most of its time looking at the trivial and irrelevant. So think about it. Think about it. Now, talking about trade unions, isn't it extraordinary? In this country, we have made striking a criminal offence. But in order to have the, uh, you know, the illusion that somehow workers can withdraw their labour, we've got an industrial system or industrial uh, regulatory system which allows workers to strike during recognised enterprise bargaining agreement periods. And now, as we saw in New South Wales last week, even strike action within a recognised legally recognised enterprise bargaining agreement period can be cancelled by the Fair Work Commission. So when we hear politicians talk about a free society, when we hear about politicians talking about people not having the right to strike in other parts of the world, could you just remind them that there is no right to strike in this country? There is no right to withdraw your labour. And so they don't create martyrs. Legislation has been structured to bankrupt individual workers in any organisation that re- that represents them if they take strike action or industrial action or any type of action which is not approved by the Fair Work Commission, which is basically a government agency to ensure that workers can't withdraw their labour. So what happens in a situation where the trade union movement is so weak? Weak in terms of membership, but weak in terms of legislation in terms of legislation, which makes it almost illegal to be a trade unionist, and media commentary, which makes trade unionists look like some type of criminal thugs. Think about it. 
What happens? Well, wages growth stalls. Stalls. And capitalism, as we know, is based on making ever-increasing profits. So if wages growth stalls and property prices and rents surge because property has now become a commodity which is uh, manipulated by investors who use legislation which makes investment some type of tax-free undertaking in this country. So what happens? You don't have any wage growth. When you bring in workers on 457 visas and the other visas which allow workers to come in here, bring in an alternative labour force, which is totally non-unionised, obviously puts downward pressure on wages. When we see that individual bargaining agreements which have been struck between employers and employees are now being ditched in favour of awards where workers are expected to take pay cuts of up to 50% to retain their old jobs and where we see the Fair Work Commission remove penalty rates for the most poorly paid workers in the hospitality industry, you begin to realise that wages growth, which is the engine house, engine house of capitalism, has come to a halt. Because it's all very well talking about, you know, how wonderful things are, but when you're indebted up to your neck, and most Australians are indebted in some way or another, the financial institutions which are not regulated in any way, we begin to understand why so few people have acquired so much wealth in such a short period of time in history. Just extraordinary. So everybody's talking about it now. At least they weren't talking about it 10 years ago. And they're talking about it because it's bad for business. No wages growth, high property prices, high utility charges means that people can't buy shit. And if they can't buy shit, it means profits don't increase. So what we've seen over the last 20 years is a transfer, sorry, 40 years, is a transfer of wealth from the poor to the rich. And we've seen the shrinking of the middle class's ability to actually share in the good life because of the amount of debt they need to acquire in order to enjoy the good life. So it's no wonder that things have become so pathetic in this country. But what's even more pathetic is the lack of response. The lack of response from people who somehow think they can't respond. But ultimately, political power doesn't lie in the House of Parliament or even the hands of the one percenters ultimate political authority in a democratic society, in a society based on rule of the people, for the people, by the people, it rests in the people themselves. And if the people themselves are not willing to band, to fight for fundamental rights, then nothing changes. Things get worse, not better. Listen to the Anarchist World this week. 
give you an example. Now, this is, this is, there are certain prophetic things which happen in this country, and there is nothing more prophetic than seeing the Turnbull government try to promote, and words are wonderful things, defence industry, armaments manufacture, the manufacture of weapons whose primary purpose is to kill. That's right. Its primary purpose is to kill people like you. So we are now going to get off the sheep's back and get onto the military weapons gravy train. So the government wants Australians to become one of the top ten manufacturing sites on the planet for military hardware, weapons that are designed to kill. But instead of leaving it to the private market to fund these weapons of destruction, the federal government will be providing loans. And when I talk about the federal government providing loans, that means you, you and me, the dumb taxpayers, providing loans to arms manufacturing companies to create weapons which are designed to kill people, not defend societies, but to kill people, that our taxpayers' money will be used to fund arms manufacturers in this country because the private sector, the financial sector, is not willing to invest in these companies. So instead of investing in education or health care or public housing, we will as a nation be forced to invest in the manufacture of arms. And it's, it's interesting how they... You know, they clove their little little, um, little beast in nice clothes. It's a defence industry. A defence industry. It's not an industry that creates weapons of destruction whose primary aim is to kill people. And we're going to bankroll it. We, the Australian people, through the Australian government, is going to provide the finances to build up this industry. Now, couldn't you use the same financial incentives for maybe the solar industry, wind industry? Couldn't you use the same financial incentives to create different manufacturing hubs instead of you know rely on the private sector? Couldn't you use the same financing to provide seeding funding to cooperatives and collectives to create a different economic system in this country. Oh, no. Oh, no. The Turnbull-led Liberal government, after talking to a few of these arms manufacturers and after obviously being wined and dined by all these nice people, are now going to fork out your cash to these arms manufacturing Companies to manufacture weapons of destruction. Wonderful. 
That's what I love about 21st century Australia. It is a wonderful, wonderful place with reality and what happens are two different things. Extraordinary. It's extraordinary. But nobody's taking this up. They're saying, oh, some people are saying, tut, tut, these are weapons that kill. Fair enough. Others say, wow, what a great business opportunity. But he's talking about the fact that we're going to use taxpayers' money to provide low-interest loans to establish privately-owned companies. It's almost as bad as when the, the corporate world was bailed out by governments across the world the tune of trillions of dollars during the great financial crisis in 2008, or was it 2006? Bailed out. But instead of saying... If we're going to bail you out, boys and girls, we want people on the board ad infinitum and we want you to pay that money back later on. No. So what happened with the bailouts? The rich got richer, the poorer got poorer. Everybody knows. When you've got seven or eight individuals holding as much wealth as 3.5 billion people, you know there is an issue. But again, we're all happy, aren't we? We're all happy every day. We're happy to accept this because that's the way it is. Well, that's not the way it is. It doesn't have to be that way. It never has to be that way. We have allowed this to occur because we've believed the propaganda. Don't call it fake news. It's propaganda. We've had propaganda since time immemorial. It is propaganda. And the best example is when you've got some billionaire who's filed for bankruptcy more times than I, you know, have had hot tea, dinners. He's got a reputation as a bit of a groper, you know, becomes president of the US of A, promising, <laughs> promising the poor white working class, Nirvana, when all that's happened in the last year is laws have been passed, a few laws have been passed with Congress and the uh, Senate in the United States, which have actually helped the mega-rich, especially their so-called taxation laws. Extraordinary. And we say, Alleluia, brothers and sisters, this is the way forward. Alleluia. <laughs> Extraordinary. Look, I'm not cynical. <laughs> I'm a realist. And this thing's, this is not going to change. This will not change while we get a painful uh, painful index finger liking things on the net. It's not going to change when we're going to join all these virtual organisations and do all these virtual things to change real things that are happening on planet Earth. Just extraordinary. It is an extraordinary situation. Forget about fake news, propaganda. It is brilliant propaganda. Brilliant propaganda, which is, you know, people lap up day after day after day after day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, 365 days a year, 366 in a leap year. The way forward is to give the corporate sector total control. The way you create jobs is to allow people with assets to gain more assets. The way you increase profitability is by 
breaking down borders, financial borders, and allowing the corporate sector to dominate the economic system. The way forward is to deregulate all those laws that have come in place, which people are sweated for, to put in place to protect them in the workplace, to protect their wages and conditions, protect their children, have the possibility of their children having a public education. You know, that's the way forward. Come on, really? Think about it. It's the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scarner. A few sites you can go to. Look, public interest before corporate interest was established about two, two and a half years ago. And the whole purpose of public interest before corporate interests was to, one, to create an organisation which can take action in the streets, and two, to create a federal political party that would always put the interests of the many before the interests of the few. Now, it's all very well to tell me that you're not going to vote, and it's all very well to tell me that you're going to vote informal, and it's all very well to tell me you vote Greens or the ALP or even Liberal National Party. But if you want significant change, if you want to belong to an organisation whose primary interests is to cut the corporate sector down to size, to redistribute income and change decision-making processes, well, it's about time that you looked at public interest before corporate interests. Become a member. We need 550 members on the electoral roll and then we can apply for registration as a federal political party. And once we're a federal political party, maybe then there'll be a little bit more traction. Because if you look at all the so-called independents in the Senate and the House of Reps, you'll find that most of them are single-issue parties. Single-issue independents. And most of them come, come from an authoritarian bent. Think about it. Public interest before corporate interest doesn't cost anything. Download the application for pipsy.net, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Ain't got a computer? I don't blame you. If you haven't got a computer, you don't want to be tracked all the time, well, you can always ring us on 0439 395 489. Leave a name and a contact address and we'll send you out some application forms for public interest before corporate interest to join. Or you can write to us at post office box 20 Parkville 3052. While we're talking about websites, if you have websites you could go to, tunner, T-U-N-N-E-R, more, M-A-U-L, dot org. Look at the um, public, look at the um, public interest before corporate interest website, pipsy, P-I-B-C-I, dot net. Download the application form, info at pipsy, dot net. You can go to the Anarchist Media Institute website, anarchistmedia.org, anarchistmedia.org, a few Facebook pages which have some interest. You know, you could go to the public the public housing Facebook, Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia Facebook page. Find out about the rallies that will be held this year on the steps of the Victorian Public House, Victorian Parliament to make uh, which are designed to make public housing a significant issue for the 24th of November election, an issue that none of the major political parties or even the minor political parties are that interested in. I mean, you just leave it to the private marketplace, don't you? Or you can go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano, the number for the public. Toscano, number for the public, to see the different things that I'm involved in. And talking about defend and extend public housing, the next defend, the first defend and extend 
public housing rally, and these rallies are usually are held, always held on a Wednesday, and they're designed to coincide with a parliamentary sitting day on a Wednesday, and the first rally for 2018 will be on Wednesday, the 7th of February, midday to 1pm, open microphone, steps to the Victorian Parliament House. You want to turn housing from a commodity for investors into shelter for people who need housing. You want to see governments allocate money towards public housing instead of to the so-called community and social housing sector, which are basically made up of private organisations. Well, then maybe you should get involved in this campaign, defend and extend public housing. Look at the Facebook page, become involved, come to the rallies. There are other ways you can become involved, which you can find out about. Uh, if you come to the rallies, because, uh, you know, Liberal National Party's not interested. The Labor Party's trying to privatise what's left of the public housing sector, which houses only about uh, 100,000 people in Victoria, 62,000 public housing units, about 3% of the Victorian population. Think about it. Public housing should be available to anybody who wants it, you know, on a low income. Extraordinary. We don't have a public housing sector. Why shouldn't the $6 billion which is comes from stamp duty, which is the sale of housing, private houses every year, not be allocated to public housing? Why should the federal government be giving almost interest-free loans to arms manufacturers to kill people, to manufacture arms to kill people? Why shouldn't that money go into the public housing? Why shouldn't it? Simple ideas. Very simple ideas. It's just a matter of it's not revolution, it's not blood in the streets, it's not, you know, the guillotine. Simple parliamentary decisions can make fundamental changes sometimes to people's lives, like decisions about public housing. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Scott, I'm hosting today's program. Now, I love financial institutions, I love them. I love them. And I love the Commonwealth Bank. Remember the Commonwealth Bank used to be in the hands of the Australian people and how it was privatised by Hawke and Keating, one of their great, great economic initiatives. Remember those good old days when they flogged it for $2.60? It's you know, worth about 80 bucks a share now. Remember when the Commonwealth Bank was around, it actually acted as a... Uh, bulwark against the uh, privately owned banks, at least if the government of the day owns a financial, a major financial institution, it can put pressure on the private banks. It's a little bit of competition in the financial sector. Remember when the, private, when the Commonwealth Bank was finally privatised, I think it was in 1982, that, uh, that uh, pressure on the uh, banks eased. I was in the bank... This shows you how lack of memory. I was in the bank, Commonwealth Bank. Sorry, I had to go in there. And uh, the poor person behind the counter looks up. And she says, "Oh, you've been us for twenty. You've been us for twenty six years." I said, "No." I said, "I've been with this bank for almost sixty years." She says, "Oh." I said, "I think you've forgotten. The Commonwealth Bank was the People's Bank." It was privatised in 1982. Was that 1980, 1986? Sorry, 1986. It wasn't 82. I can't do the maths. You work it out. But it was in the early 80s. 
Oh. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh. And think of all the other parts of the economy that have been privatised, that have been given away to the private sector at peppercorn prices. Think of all the problems we have now with electricity generation, the fact that it's private companies that run the system. But that's the way it is, isn't it? We were happy. Well, I wasn't. I'm sure you were. Maybe you weren't. Happy to see the privacy government get out of provision of services. So why did government provide services? Because it was forced to. It was forced to by people in the 19th and 20th century, in the first half of the 20th century. Revolutionary change didn't occur. In many parts of the world, there was no revolutionary change. But there was enough pressure placed on government to ensure that essential commodities were provided to people by government. And the privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation, deregulation juggernaut, which has been running amok over the last 42 years, is a direct consequence of the wholesale sell-off of these publicly owned assets to the private sector. And the thing is, what we forget is that most of these so-called privately owned companies are awash with taxpayers' money. Now, I know everybody's a little bit upset with the private health insurance industry. About 42 43% of Australians take out private health insurance for a variety of reasons, and I can understand. Now, but do you know that $6 billion, not million, $6 billion, B-I-L-L-I-O-N, the big B, $6 million of taxpayers' money is used to fund the private health insurance industry. So what does the private health insurance industry do? Well, they have one responsibility, and that only responsibility is to their shareholders. They rip off their clients by, one, selling them dud policies, and, two, by removing more and more benefits, like top hospital cover is no longer top hospital cover because every time you go into hospital as a private patient, there is an out-of-pocket cost. And why has this occurred? Well, I thank that great man, that great ex-prime minister, that champion of the bicycle, that budgie smuggler wearer, Mr Abbott, because what did he do? do, he privatised Medibank Private. Medibank Private was set up in the early days when Medibank was called Medicare. Medibank and then Medicare was set up. It was owned by the federal government. It provided $100 million every year back to taxation revenue. And most importantly at all, while there was a major player in the health insurance industry 
which was owned by the government of the day, not by the people, by the government of the day, downward pressure was placed on these private health insurance industry regarding services which they provided at certain prices. But hey, presto, you privatise Medibank Private, what happens? Services to customers dramatically decrease. Return to shareholders increase. Because the primary responsibility of any privately owned company, whether publicly listed on the stock exchange or not, is to create ever-increasing profits for their owners at the expense of the customers. Now, getting back to the Commonwealth Bank. I love the Commonwealth Bank. I love them. And I love to see that one of their regulars has been appointed as the new head, the new CEO of the Commonwealth Bank. People say, hmm, why is this so? My apologies to Professor Julius Sumner Miller. Why is this so? I think most people don't realise why this is so because there are a lot of bodies out there. There are a lot of bodies which have been buried by the privately owned banks, which have been running amok since the privatisation of the Commonwealth Bank in the mid-1980s. Running amok. So there are bodies buried everywhere. And although we've got a Clayton's Royal Commission starting in Melbourne on the 12th of February, which is just around the corner, it looks like this Clayton's Royal Commission is not going to give much credence to individual stories. Because the Royal Commission has been given a framework to report back by September, which is an almost impossible task if you're going to listen to a, you know, some stories about the victims of the financial sector. So the Commonwealth Bank appoints an in-house appointment as their new CEO. And why is that so? Because he knows, as head of the retail section before he was appointed CEO, this gentleman knows where the bodies are buried. And with a royal commission coming up, you don't want some grotty little outsider who may have delusions of actually setting the record straight being in charge of the organisation. You want somebody in charge of the organisation who knows where the bodies are buried so when the royal commission starts digging, you send them digging in the wrong direction. So 10 out of 10. Impressive appointment. I'm so impressed. So impressed. Over the moon. 10 out of 10. And as far as the Banking Royal Commission is concerned, if we don't hear individual stories, like the Royal Commission's institutionalised child abuse in this country, which ran for four years which heard individual stories and which ensured that every individual who made a submission at least had an audience with a royal commissioner or a royal commissioner's assistant. That's over 8,000 people. This will be a total whitewash. This royal commission will be a total whitewash. Think about it. Think about it. So if you want to keep the bodies hidden... When you elect your next leader of your little outlaw bikey gang, 
you make sure it's an in-house appointment. You wouldn't want somebody with grand ideas to actually take up that position, would you? All right, let's keep going. Now, I have to laugh. Now, I know this is very serious, and obviously I shouldn't laugh, but I do have to laugh sometimes. I really have to laugh. Now, me mate, the Groper, President Groper, President of the US of A, billionaire extraordinaire, multiple bankruptor of other businesses as well as his own business, he made some real comments. He said, you know those Taliban people? Nasty people. Nasty people, they kill innocent people. Well, maybe sometimes the Groper should look at his own military and see how many innocent people they kill in that war that's been raging in that part of the world for almost two decades. Hmm? The man's... Well, look, all I can say is I believe the United States of America deserves Mr Grape, and I'm very pleased he's the President of the United States of America because it should help to, you know, make them a third world power. But that's, that's the way it is. But come on... We're not stupid. You know, people talk about the good guys and the bad guys. The good guys and the bad guys. Everybody's resisting is a bad guy. Everybody's for you is a good guy. Extraordinary. Words. I love words. Now, my face... That was me glasses. I'm just throwing me glasses down in horror. Can't stand it. I love words. And the most misconstrued word in the English language, in the land of Oz is the word welfare. It has so many negative connotations. And I am sick and tired of listening to people who should know better, who are in that type of business, and it is a business, who are politicians using the word welfare. It is not welfare. One third of Australians rely on social security benefits to survive. Social security benefits. And the whole purpose of a social security benefit is not just to give keep body and soul together of people who can't derive an income through work, but to ensure there is social cohesion in society. So instead of needing a huge police presence and armed force presence to maintain order because people are denied the basic necessities of life, what a social security benefit ensures is that the rich can lie in bed peacefully without private security guards outside their doors. It's not welfare. It's not shit that you hand out to people. It is a social security benefit which people receive because they are part and parcel of this society. It is a benefit which is there to ensure social cohesion continues. It's a very simple concept. But again, we see words. And then we get on to the Mr Morrison and Mr Abbott. Great Christians. Love them. Christian folk. Christian folk. Now, I heard in the last 24 hours that Mr Morrison and Mr Abbott conspired, that's the word conspired, 
in 2014 to ensure that refugees and asylum seekers uh, process through uh, ASIO were to be slowed down so that the date via which their application could be processed would disappear in the ether. And over 700 people were denied refugee or asylum seeker status because ASIO was ordered to slow down the processes which investigated individuals, especially Sri Lankans. Hmm? Now, if I conspired to do that, I'd be facing charges, multiple charges. But Mr Morrison and Mr Abbott, no. It was a service to society. It was a service to the community to break the law, to force ASIO to basically stop processing applications until the time limit ran out. Great strategy. I'm sure Adolf would have loved it. He would have loved it. It's the type of thing you'd expect Adolf to do. But remember, these are Christian gentlemen. Christian gentlemen. Don't worry. They're okay. They're nice people. We love them. We love them. All right. Let's move on. Because there are a lot of things that I want to talk about. Now, there's a new term on the block. Have you ever heard of surveillance capitalism? Hmm? Well, it's, the term's been around for a little while. But it's a, a capitalism which is based on harvesting information through social media. Things like Facebook, to a lesser extent the World Wide Web and Twitter, Instagram. These are basically corporate models where people make money by selling advertising space which is targeted at particular individuals because of the domination of surveillance capitalism in our everyday lives. Are any of you have got a smartphone or use Facebook or the World Wide Web. All this information, the most basic information, is collected about you and then sold on to an advertiser in terms of them being able to advertise you certain products at particular points in time, you know, based on the information that's been collected about you. So this is what's called surveillance capitalism, a huge growth industry. And when you look at some of the most capitalised companies on the planet, they make their billions of dollars by surveillance. Surveillance capitalism, the growth industry. Just another fancy way of advertising. Guess what? We give it to them freely because we're so keen to get that next little shiny bauble, that next that that next trinket, that next blanket. Extraordinary. And they talk about you know 
Indigenous people been seduced by tobacco and shiny baubles and blankets and tea and, you know, and tobacco. Well, what's changed? Here we are, seduced by all this information which pops up saying, wow, how do they know that? Well, I knew that because you were there. Happened to me on the weekend. So have you got a smartphone? You're not so smart. So surveillance capitalism, the new arm of capitalism, where your personal information is gathered to make a profit for somebody else, irrespective of whether you agree or don't agree. If you look at the fine print, if you're involved in that area, that's the price you pay. Surveillance capitalism. Wonderful, wonderful term. I love it. Surveillance capitalism. We've got green capitalism, which is, you know, starting to take off, where people provide economic solutions based on creating profits by exploiting the situation we find ourselves in, where we have increased greenhouse emissions. So you've got green capitalism, you've got surveillance capitalism, it goes on and on. Now, you know, I don't do much commentary on the um, what happens in the world because it's hard enough trying to get people organised in Australia, let alone the rest of the planet. You obviously leave that to somebody else who lives in that particular area who knows what they're doing. But there are a few things that you really have to wonder about. Now, I love the Polish government. <laughs> Remember in the 70s when they overthrew the evil communists and uh, Solidarity took over, which turned out to be a bit of a joke? But now they've got a really interesting government. Proto-fascists, I call them. Well, proto-fascists. And I've really loved the new legislation they brought in, and I'm sure every Holocaust denier in the world will be saluting Adolf, it is now a criminal offence in Poland to blame the Polish state for what happened to over 3 million Jews who were exterminated in Poland. As a consequence of Hitler's final solution program, which, if you look at the historical accounts, was loved, loved by many Polish people in the state, loved by them, loved by them, solved the Jewish problem. Over six million people died in Poland during World War II. I think it's the highest number of people who died after Russia, which lost over 20 million people who were killed during the war. Three million Jews, three million Poles, but now there's legislation to deny that the the Polish state really had, or Polish political parties had anything to do with it. Come on, come on, really? Well, is it fake news? No, it's plain revisionism. Re, forget it, Joe. You're not up to it. You're not up to it. You're getting old. All right, it's just changing history through legislation. I love it. They must have taken their instructions from the Australians because we have a great history of denying 
the past. So why should we be upset when the Poles deny the past, when a Polish government denies the past? I mean, we saw with the Australia Day slash Invasion Day gatherings that occurred across the the country. We saw that uh, although 60,000 people turned up in Melbourne, when you listen to the Australian Broadcasting Corporation or the IPA, Institute of Public Affairs Broadcasting Corporation, it's all about the 5,000 people that turned up in Sydney and the 2,000 people that turned up in Hobart. Just extraordinary reporting when you think about it. And when you think about it, you know, somebody makes a comment or two and a few people put a few comments on a web page and that, that becomes the whole issue after it. Extraordinary, really. So why should I be upset about the Polish government denying the Holocaust and their involvement, you know, past governments being involved in that Holocaust? We were involved in a Holocaust here. As far as Indigenous Australians is concerned, and we continue to deny it, continue to celebrate Australia Day on the 26th of January. So why should I be surprised when I think about it? Nope. I'm not surprised. My name's Jessica Scarr. I'm hosting today's program. A few websites. Don't forget. Tunnamall.org. Anarchismedia.org. Pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Download the application form. That's public interest before corporate interest. P-I, info at Pibci dot net. Any emails, but you can download it from Pibci dot net. Fill it in. Send it off. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. Few web pages, look at my own personal web page, Toscano, number four, the public, Toscano for the public. Uh, I've got a, a number of announcements to make next week about some new initiatives we've been involved in. We're going to uh, launch next week. But don't forget the uh, Defend and Extend Public Housing campaign, which will be a big campaign in Victoria, at least, for the next uh, 12 months, because we're very keen to make this a uh, an election issue for the election on the 24th of November because nobody else is. But I want to get back to this beautiful system we have where the taxpayer pays private corporations to provide services which should be provided by the government. And then another one is the, uh, the so-called public transport system in Victoria, which is run by the private sector. Or across the country, the private nursing home industry which gets billions of dollars from taxpayers to provide a second-rate service to a great number of people. And then we have the ridiculous situation where the National Disability Insurance Scheme is going to be run by a huge number of private organisations who will use about 40 cents in every dollar of taxpayers' money to make profits and pay staff. When people could actually... Um, Manage, many people could actually manage their own programs or families could manage the program. There'd be an extra 30% to be used for the good of the actual clients. And the list goes on and on. Just extraordinary, extraordinary situation. Then you've got the financial sector where not only do they get direct benefits, like the mining sector continues to get 4 or $5 billion every year from a petrol subsidy, and the private health insurance is to get $6 billion every year as a health subsidy. And then we have the private education sector, which gets tens of billions of dollars, I think it's up to $40 billion every year to provide private education. Then we've got the so-called you know, system, which uh, divides the goodies as far as the social security system is concerned. And we have private organisations making a buck from providing essential services to people which should be run by the state. And the list goes on and on. Just an extraordinary situation when you think about it. And we, 
where taxpayers' money is going. And now the final nail in the coffin is the federal government lending money to arms manufacturers in Australia to um, make think, make arms which, will, which are used to kill people. And we, as a taxpayer, are expected to you know, shoulder the burden. And then in Victoria, we have the state government giving a billion-dollar guarantee to the private housing sector, the so-called not-for-profit and profit social community housing sector, a guarantee in terms of them being able to take out loans. Now, I understand that Mr Ron Walker died. I never talk ill of the dead, but all I can say is he's been lauded today in the media, lauded, especially the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, which seems to have forgotten where it, you know, where it comes from. What was Ronnie? Liberal Party's bag man. The Liberal Party's bag man. He found the money for the Liberal Party to win election after election. Him and Johnny Howard, mates, mates. Tweedledee and Tweedledum. So, Ronnie, you may have done a few good things in your life, but I'll remember you as the bag man for the uh, Liberal Party of Australia. You've been listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Descar. I'm hosting today's program. If you wish to write to me, I'm happy to answer letters. Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. You want to leave a message? 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can download an application form to join public interest before corporate interest from pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. You can find out what's going on in the public housing scene. Defend and extend public housing, the Facebook page. You can go to my personal Facebook page, Toscana for the Public. You can go to the Tanaminaway Mawbohina commemoration page where we're trying to make the 20th of January National Indigenous Freedom Fighters Day. Tana, T-U-W-N-E-R dot mall, There's lots of things to get involved in. Don't forget the uh, big rally. Well, the rally, I won't use the word big, outside the Victorian Parliament House, midday. Wednesday, the 7th of February, organised by Defend and Extend Public Housing and Public Interests Before Corporate Interests. So join us, and most importantly of all, don't just sit there and whinge. If you're going to do that, don't listen to the anarchist world this week. Look at the things that we're involved in. You don't like what we're doing, do your own action. But get involved, get active. It's only your participation on a daily basis in the struggle to create a different society which will make a difference. So that's what the Anarchist World this week is all about. Listen to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station via the Community Radio Network next week. Evil minds that plot destruction construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.